Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. So when we finally pushed and said, well, why do you want us to do that? The customer said, well, I just want one vendor to do the whole thing. And we realized, oh, wow. So the fact that we're doing cash uniquely gives us the opportunity to integrate the ACH and the card payments. And of course, once we started doing that, then customers said, well, why don't you take over the portal? And if you're doing that, why don't you take over mobile? Hey, can you control the CSR relationship? Can you report to us in an interesting way? Can you implement a flexible business rules engine, et cetera? And so frankly, by doing what you should always do, which is listening to your customers, we were able to transform the company from being a supplier of a component of the whole customer relationship to taking over the entire customer relationship for our customers. That was Danny Shader, the CEO of Pay Near Me, and this is episode 38 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and Danny is our special guest this week. I'm your host, Greg Myers, and hey, before we get started, if you happen to office in Houston, Austin, or North Texas, check out Fuse Workspace, where their mission is to help others do more. Check them out at Fuse, F-U-S-E, workspace.com. Okay, back to the show. Danny was born and currently lives in Palo Alto, California, but in between, he spent time in New York and L.A., Pay Near Me is a payments CRM company that manages the customer financial interactions between a biller and their customer. They process all of the payments, run the payments portal, the mobile experience, the IVR, the software, the customer service rep uses, and much, much more. They process the cash, too, through their proprietary cash network, where they have integrated into the POS at 27,000 retail locations, including CVS, 7-Eleven, Family Dollar, and others. A barcode is issued to the customer and then scanned at the retail location and they pay their bill just as they would for a gallon of milk. For those just starting their careers in fintech and payments, he suggests to find something that you're very interested in, work with people you really like, and work hard. Do those things and you'll do well. We've got a great episode this week, so let's get started. Hi, Danny. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure. I was born in Palo Alto, California. I live in Palo Alto, California. In fact, probably about 500 yards from where I was born. I was like a salmon that swam back home because I actually grew up in New York and LA, but eventually came back here. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's talk about the company, Pay Near Me. So tell us what Pay Near Me does. Pay Near Me is essentially a payments relationship, payments CRM company. So we manage all of the customer interactions for billers who are customers, sort of everything that happens between the biller's customer, the biller's customer service rep, and the underlying system of record that's tracking that customer's financial relationship with the company. So we're processing all the payments, we're running the payment portal, we're running the mobile experience, we're running the IVR, where the software that the customer service rep interacts with, we are controlling all the business logic about who can pay with what form of tender when, we're controlling the auto payments, we're controlling the engagements, all the reminders, all the auto pay, all the future scheduled payments. And then we're processing the cash through our proprietary cash transaction network that is like nothing else in the world. And then we are insourcing you know, ACH processing and card processing. 
And then we're integrating all that into things like Apple Pay and Google Pay, and et cetera. Okay. And how long has the company been around? The company's been around for about 12 years. And we originally built this cash transaction network. We were processing cash in a way that we should probably talk about that's very unique. And customers for whom we were processing cash said, hey, you do such an amazing job with our cash. Why don't you take over our card payments or our ACH payments? And actually, I, as the genius CEO that I am, didn't want to do that and kept saying no, 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 because in my view, that was a commodity business. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way we could compete with very large players. And eventually, one of our customers basically yelled at us and called us not nice things because we didn't want to take over all their business. And so when we finally pushed and said, well, why do you want us to do that? The customer said, well, I just want one vendor to do the whole thing. And we realized, oh, wow. So the fact that we're doing cash uniquely gives us the opportunity to integrate the ACH and the card payments. And of course, once we started doing that, then customers said, well, why don't you take over the portal? And if you're doing that, why don't you take over mobile? Hey, can you control the CSR relationship? Can you report to us in an interesting way? Can you implement a flexible business rules engine, et cetera? And so, frankly, by doing what you should always do, which is listening to your customers, we were able to transform the company from being a supplier of a component of the whole customer relationship to taking over the entire customer relationship for our customers. Okay. And how big is the company? We're processing billions of dollars per year. We're around 100 people, growing rapidly about 50% per year. And I think we can sustain that for quite a while. Okay. And you mentioned billers. Are there specific industries or verticals that you serve? Yeah, I think just to zoom way out, there's been a ton of innovation in commerce payments, right? And we hear about that all the time. And, you know, nobody starts a new commerce company without doing, you know, a pretty killer job at payments. But about 40% of consumer spend is on things that aren't commerce, right? So your auto loan, your personal loan, your utilities, what you pay the municipality, your parking tickets, et cetera, et cetera. And for the most part, unless you're dealing with the very largest billers, you know, the AT&Ts and Verizons of the world, you're probably having a pretty crummy experience with that, right? So the world has advanced dramatically in commerce payments and been fairly stagnant in these sort of non-commerce payments. And that's happened at the same time that there's been a fundamental shift of consumers paying bills from their bank account, which is what people of my generation, I'm almost 60, did, to what people are doing now, 75% payments are biller direct. And so people are going to the billers and they're having a really lousy experience, but they're going to the billers because the billers system has all the information they need to either access or impact in real time, right? The biller system knows how much they owe. If they make a payment, the biller can credit that payment in real time. None of that's available typically through the bank website. Also, consumers many times, particularly in this climate, want to switch tender types. So they may pay with a debit card one time and an ACH another time, and then a cash another time because they're short or they're overdrawn and they don't want the their deposit in their bank account to credit their overdraft rather than going to the biller. And so, again, zooming out, huge amounts of payments, lousy payment experience, absolutely need to happen at the biller websites. And the billers themselves typically don't have the development resources to go get a Stripe or a Braintree or something like that, and they don't have any ability to do cash. And so they don't have the ability to build a killer experience unless they are absolutely one of the largest builders in the world. And so what we do is we fill that gap. We come in and we have a complete software system that plugs into their system of record and can extract, normalize, and relabel information from that system of record and post, and then present that information in ways that our builders want through any payment channel, right, IVR, web, mobile, et cetera, 
customer service agents, process all the tender types, control all the business logic, and do everything else. And they can do that without the biller having to consume very precious development resources that they would probably rather put into something like their risk management system or some other something else gives them proprietary advantage. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. And you mentioned cash and wanting to go a little deeper there. Sure. So let's let's do that. Maybe give a use case or something that would help people understand, you know, what people are paying with cash these days. So it's important to understand that about 25% of U.S. households are un- or underbanked. So about 7 or 8% are unbanked, meaning they don't have a bank account. And then the balance of those folks may have a bank account, but they are routinely going around their bank account to using alternative financial services. So maybe they're using a prepaid debit card or they're using a money order or something like that. Or they're having, God forbid, to go to one of the traditional walk-up money transmitters who are going to charge them a lot of money and make them fill out a form and stand in line and do all that other stuff. So, right. and importantly, this is not going away, right? So there's, there's all this discussion about cash going away, but it isn't going away because huge portions of the population are paid in cash and they need to pay their bills in cash. Or they're paid another some other form of tender, but they're pulling cash out in order to make sure that they can absolutely positively not miss their rent payment or their auto payment or something else that, or their cable payment or something else that's essential to them. So that's not going away. It's a big part of the economy, even though it's a subset of the bills that get paid. So instead of doing one of those things that I described, like going and buying a money order and putting in an envelope and mailing it or buying a money order and getting on the bus or waiting in line 15 minutes at the, you know, the money center to, to pay a bill through a traditional walk-up bill payer, who, by the way, is going to charge you some huge upcharge if you want to, quote-unquote, expedite the payment. We have a system where we have integrated into the point-of-sale terminals at 27,000 U.S. retail locations, so all the CBS, 7-Eleven, Family Dollar, other, other locations. And in our system, in an automated fashion, the consumer is issued a barcode on their phone or on their bill or in some other means, and they just walk in to the checkout line, and in the same way that they would pay for a carton of milk, the clerk behind the counter scans the barcode, they hand over their cash, and in real time, their account is credited for that payment. So literally before they get to their car in the parking lot, their bill has been paid. And so it, basically what we're doing is turning cash into a full-fledged electronic payment mechanism by borrowing the point-of-sale terminals at all these stores and lending them essentially to these billers. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Because if it's not clear, I might be... I can... No, it does. It makes perfect sense. And I think it's an interesting model that you have you know, created where you take on the acceptance of all the different methods and places and you know, you, you've built quite the network. But what would you say differentiates you from your competitors? And do you have, I mean, everyone has a competitor, but are there competitors that do everything you do or are there just competitors that do parts of what you do? There are competitors that do parts of what we do. So there are traditional old line, you know, payment processors, folks who run those, <laughs> the lousy payment experiences, frankly, that we were just talking about. There are some also some, you know, up and comers, but nobody has what we have with combining what I've just described, you know, obviously doing all the tender through all the channels and the cash and the programmable business logic. And so I think we've made the cash reasonably clear, but let me describe this business logic problem to you for a second. So the more you get to know any of these businesses, the more you'll find out that they have very specific requirements about how they want payments to work. So one of our customers, an auto lender, came to us when they decided to switch from their old line provider to us and said, hey, by the way, we'd like to have a rule. We'd like as many people as possible to pay us by ACH. So favor in your presentation recurring ACH. That's an obvious thing that everybody would like to do. Except when one of our consumers 
NSFs, when they bounce their ACH, they've now gone from being our most economical to our least economical customer. So tell you what, we want a rule that says if the consumer bounces their ACH twice, turn that channel off. And what they thought we would do was go hard code that into their implementation, but we never hard code anything. We come at everything from an operating systems perspective. Our core engineers are former Apple OS people. And so we built a, a rules engine that lets us put all kinds of rules in. One of them is, for example, all right, if, you know, ACH equals NSF two times in X period of time, turn that channel off. But then that customer said, but you know what? If the customer calls our customer service rep, we want the customer service rep to have the ability at their discretion up to a certain amount to turn that channel back on, but change the pricing. So there's two more rules. And we also wanted, if it exceeds a certain amount, they need to get a, a supervisor's approval. There's another rule. And so having the ability to, on the fly, configure different kinds of payment rules with different pricing and different rules, I think is unique to us. I'm not aware of anybody else who's got the ability to do that. And the reason we're able to do that, obviously, is because increasingly our customers are handing more and more of that infrastructure over to us to run from them. I mean, the thing to keep in mind is that nobody has enough developers, right? Right. So, except, you know, the hottest tech companies who can turn engineers away. And most people need to use their internal development resources to things that are absolutely unique to their business. You know, in lending, for example, it's oftentimes things related to their risk models or analysis. They don't need to spend their precious development resources trying to build a CRM infrastructure for payments when, frankly, much of that is going to be shared in common with other customers as long as it's customizable and controlled by a flexible business logic. And so that's what we've done. We've created, we use our engineers to create a platform that can then be customized without engineering for a wide variety of businesses and government agencies who are trying to deliver a killer payment experience while simultaneously diverting their development resources to the problems that only their developers can solve. Now, you may ask, well, why is that important? Why is it important that consumers have a great payment experience? Well, the reason is if they don't, or they don't have the right reminders, the right engagement, et cetera, they're going to either pay late or not pay. So that obviously is very expensive. Or they're going to call a customer service agent and try to reconcile something, and that's expensive. But if you can automate it and make it self-service and make it great and make it integrate with their mobile wallet and do all the reminders and take payment any way they want to pay and do it through every channel they want to use for it, whatever they're doing. All of that, that ultimately not just makes for happier customers, but it saves a ton of money for our customers over time, for our enterprises and business and government agencies that use us. Yeah, and I would assume ultimately, after all those scenarios, the customer's final thing is they leave and go to somewhere else. Oh, so, you mean if they, if right. they, yeah, I mean, if they're not happy, they'll go. And remember, right. for most of these kinds of entities, this is the only interaction they have with their customer. So how'd you like to have a recurring relationship with your customer that stinks every month? <laughs> <laughs> that is not the way to get loyalty, right? Right, right, right. So you're almost in the customer experience business. We are. We think of ourselves as really an enterprise software company that with an integrated payments capability that delivers customer relationship management for our businesses and government agencies. Okay. And let me give and you kind of sell- give Oh, I was going to say, I was going to talk about just how this sort of is evolving in a COVID world, but we can, you know, we can go where you want to go and come back to that. No, that's fine. That actually, that was where I was headed is how has the COVID world changed things for you guys? It's been a really interesting accelerant for us. So most people know us as a cash system. They're less familiar with all the other stuff they do. And not surprisingly, in the current world, many people are trying to close their payment windows because they don't want that exposure 
to the population as a whole. So they call us to take over their cash. And then they see everything we're doing and they're like, wow, we want that whole thing. And so that's been a huge accelerant for us. But then there are a couple of really interesting subtle advantages. So one of the things we do is we process all those tender types, as I mentioned, through mobile or through the web, et cetera, and through our engagement engine where we might send a text with a link to payment, et cetera. Well, we can do that in a way that's PCI compliant because we can take those credentials and store them and tokenize them and never expose them to the customer service agent. So if you're a biller that sent your customer service agents home, you're terrified of, or maybe not even allowed to, process cards because you can't have a consumer reading their card information to a consumer in an unsecure environment collecting that information. That's a violation. But instead, if that collector is using Pay Near Me, they might just collect the customer's mobile number, send them a text, they open up the text, they pick their form of tender. If they pick cash, they get a barcode they can bring to the store. If they pick ACH or cards, they'll enter their credentials there, we'll store them in a secure and PCI-compliant manner and tokenize them. And the customer service agent can continue to interact with that payer without running any risk of a security violation. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, uh, subtle, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's yeah. stuff you wouldn't, until you start doing it for everybody and you start realizing that when, you know, this is the total change in our business. When we just did cash and we were a component of the system to then taking over the forms of tenor and doing the integrations and taking more and more of it over, then we're in this position of being able to do incredibly innovative things, right? That our competitors dream of doing. Sure, absolutely. Let's we're sort of headed down this path, but let's talk about where you think the industry is headed maybe in the next 2 to 3 years. You know, you're going to hate my answer, but my answer is I don't know. I think the thing that's happened is that payments has gone from being really stagnant to being super innovative and I think anybody who can sit here and tell you what's going to happen in a particular industry segment 2 or 3 years from now is deluding themselves. So what matters instead, I think, is that the vendors who are going to make it are the ones who are going to fundamentally engineer flexibility into their platform. So it is a religious mantra for us that we treat this stuff like an operating system or like a flexible, extensible platform and don't hard code or custom code anything. And that way, whichever way our customers want to innovate or the world evolves, we have the highest probability of being able to adjust and meet those demands as they emerge. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about you. Tell us about your journey, how you got to be the CEO there, maybe a little about your background and sort of your roles and responsibilities there as the CEO. Well, let's talk about how I got here. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been working for other startups and now you know, running my own startups for quite a while. The first company I did was actually a PayPal-like company ahead of PayPal. So back when PayPal was still Confinity, we started what I think was the first P2P payments company called Accept.com. This was back in the first bubble in 99. And that was when eBay was selling everything and Amazon was selling books, music, and video. Mm-hmm. But Amazon and Jeff correctly saw, as we now know now, they wanted to be the store where you could buy everything and turn the, themselves more into a platform. And they needed payments infrastructure. And so they acquired Accept.com and I and my team all moved to Seattle and we became Amazon execs. I actually became a Jeff Bezos's first executive shadow. We were the, our code was the beginning of Amazon payments and worked there for a while. And then I left and built a wireless messaging company called Good Technology that competed with back then BlackBerry on non-BlackBerry hardware. And that was acquired by Motorola. And then I briefly was another startup. And then I started this almost 12 years ago. Okay. And obviously, as the CEO there, maybe talk about your... What do I do? Yeah. What do you actually do? (laughs) (laughs) I think my job is to help set the overall direction and recruit 
amazing people. Uh, and then all the real work, frankly, is done by the amazing folks on my team and the people who work for them. I set direction and break ties and make sure there's cash in the bank and manage the board. But I am proud to say that I am by far probably the dumbest person on the executive staff at Pay Near Me. And, you know, and I'm not saying I'm dumb. I'm just saying that we have incredibly smart, capable people driving the various functions of the business. And I will admit this to friends in private, which is that I studied engineering, but I wasn't a very good engineer, but I liked engaging with engineers and I like engaging on product stuff, even though I'm not necessarily a great product guy. But since I'm CEO, folks have no choice but to talk to me. And so I get to engage with them on all these topics <laughs> that, I, that I find fascinating. That's great. Did you raise money for this business? Oh, yeah. Pay Near Me's raised over $100 million to date. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a very well-funded, venture-funded business. Okay. And what is your view on going out and raising money? Tell us one of the great stories or maybe one of the horror <laughs> stories if you have one. Oh, you know, it's funny. I think it is true that there is lots of money out there to be invested in great businesses. And the job of the CEO, at least in that domain, is to make sure you've picked a great business and that you can articulate to people why it is a great business and why they should invest in you and in the business. And that has to do with the business fundamentals. That has to do with the quality of the team you've recruited. It has a lot to do with the, your quality as an individual, right? You know, I personally place a high value on integrity and follow through and our team does that and our company does that too. And I think we have that reputation. And for investors who are looking for that kind of team, I think we're a for a good cultural fit in addition to having obviously a you know a pretty compelling business. One of the nice things about our business is that we essentially never lose a customer, right? Once people have integrated us for cash, for example, there's really no alternative to what we do. So they, for the most part, they, they never go away unless they go out of business. And when, as they give us more and more of their platform to run, they're even less reluctant to let us go as long as we don't do stupid stuff, right? Like there are some companies who will go nameless who we know you get embedded with them and then they will jack up their prices and jack up their prices and jack up their prices and jam their customers because they're stuck. We have the opposite view. We take, I think, sort of the AWS view of the world, which is what you should be trying to do is continue to deliver more and more and more and more value and earn the right to retain your customers by the way you treat them, not by the way you lock them in. Right, right. I think that's good advice. Maybe talk about one thing that you're passionate about that's work-related and one thing you're passionate about that's personal or non-work-related. So on the not work related side, I am a very passionate fitness swimmer. I swim with a group of middle-aged dads called the mermaids. And we are, uh, you know, very active socially and keeping ourselves in shape. And so that's, and I get to make the t-shirt for the mermaids every year. So I'm excited that I just made this year's t-shirt, which is entitled <laughs> best year ever. <laughs> which has little icons of all the wonderful things that have happened, obviously very sarcastically. Quick question about the fitness swimming. So is that like long distance swimming or? Oh, it just means that I'm, it's a nice way of saying I'm not very fast. Okay. <laughs> I, I swim with some people who are very fast. So I like to think that I'm in good cardio shape, but I, you know, nobody's going to put me in any races and expect me to do particularly well. But, you know, we're, in our case, we're plus or minus 2,500 yards per swim and it's broken up into different sets of different stuff. Oftentimes the sets are now named after people in our group. So we have a guy named Daniel Mitz. So we have a wandering Mitz that we do, you know, which is a particular makeup of sets or a Sands witch named after one of my investors, Greg Sands. There's just, you know, different things. We put them all together and it gets us enough yards to keep our cardiovascular shape reasonable. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So 
you know, let's talk a little bit about people coming into this industry. If you listen to the podcast, I ask this question a lot because I really like to get answers from people who've been in the space and are at senior levels. You know, when I started in the space 15 years ago, payments was just payments. There wasn't a lot of investment. It wasn't the hot, sexy industry to be in. Yep. Now it's much different. So much money being invested. We've come up with this word fintech and kids can actually learn this in college and get degrees in fintech and you know it's become very popular so what would your advice be to someone who's just starting their career just graduating want to get in payments what would your advice be to them well actually my meta advice about tech in general is you really cannot engineer your career so like i said i'm almost 60 when i came out of business school in 89 it was only the nerds like me who wanted to do tech and tech men at that point, maybe enterprise software, operating systems, Microsoft Office and products like that and semiconductors. Nobody would have thought it would have meant hailing a cab or, yeah. you know, booking a ticket or, you know, all the other stuff that it's evolved. And my assertion is, like I said before, I don't think we have any idea what this is going to look like 20 years from now. You know, I recently got a Peloton and that's such a fascinating it's a great product, but it's also such a fascinating combination of entertainment, fitness, hardware, software, and the internet, right? Who would have anticipated that? So if you're building your career to try to figure out where this stuff is going, I think you're wacky. I think what makes more sense is to work on stuff you really think is cool with people you really like. Because if you do those things, you're going to do really well. You're going to work really hard. And if you do work really hard and it's fun, you're going to do well. And if you do well your network is going to propel your career forward. And so I think optimizing in general on those things, since we're in a rising tide anyhow, it will just let you go along with whatever emerges and fascinates you. And if, by the way, if that happens to continue to be things, you can start in fintech. And if it stays in fintech, great. But you might find that fintech turns into something else in the same way that other things turn into fintech. And so I think that's the best plan. But certainly that's what I'm telling my daughters. <laughs> well, I think that's some great advice. Well, we've covered a lot about Pay Near Me and you and the industry as a whole. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Well, I just think it'd be useful to make clear, you know, who we think is a, the best possible fit for us. So we want to engage with any of people who are listening who are typically managing recurring billing, where they don't necessarily want to go out and custom code their own customer relationship management system by buying components and cobbling things together. If they're handling recurring payments through multiple channels, they want to increase their payment volume, decrease their customer service calls, and spend their engineering resources on things that are proprietary to their business, then we want to talk to them. Okay, perfect. Well, Danny, thank you so much for being here. I know your time's very valuable, so I want to be sensitive to that. But thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's really fun. Yeah, I had a good time. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 